0: hello 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 caveat how is everybody happy um kapoor thank you for being here and uh not being with your family i personally I, i'm very very delighted that you all decided to be with me instead of your family tonight but maybe tomorrow um just a, i would say a show of hands but let me get a hoot or holler who listens to other men need help great and who's never listened to an episode before Okay, so a bunch of folks here. Well, you are here because we do a show, I'm saying we, even though there's one person on stage, called Other Men Need Help. People ask like, what does that mean? I had a coworker who I think is here tonight go, oh, I just got the title recently. (laughs) So we wanted to do something that was like, other men need help, I don't because it's a real void in accountability it was 2 years ago it is now not just men but a lot of people and so the first season of the show was taking a catalyst like this and i don't want to do a show where it's like you call out culture it has to come back to the person who sang the stuff so we did a pretty open season i think for people that listen it's pretty honest i hope it sounds honest and each time we do these anniversary shows we kind of we we talk about like what's happened in the 2 years or like what's something we've seen on the street or whatever it is and so last year we talked about a guy that I saw who was having an argument with a girlfriend of his, and I was like, I don't hear enough men talking about how they sort of they they examine they they do this thing they do like call out eyes where it's like oh this dude's getting fucked up on the street by his girlfriend I'm totally gonna sit and watch this I totally do it uh, then when it happens to me uh, I I don't want any of you there. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna give you that for tonight. I'm gonna shut up a lot tonight, except the middle fun portion, which we're gonna keep a little surprise. But are you guys ready? Like, you guys can go home, you listen to the podcast. You're not here to listen to a podcast. You're here to hear people tell some stories and share some secrets and talk about some shit. Are you guys ready for it? (laughs) Fuck yeah. All right, I'm gonna shut up the first performer we're gonna bring up to the stage i don't know when i met her it was probably moved back to new york six years ago was sometime in the first few months and this gal like she is man she is fire uh she did a show called hidden fences that was a, I w- i i can't even do it justice it was like a satire of like of uh hidden figures and the and fences <laughs> written for a cast and it's like it was the most it's brilliant it's the most brilliant thing i hope they bring it back Anyway, I'm gonna shut up. Also, I and I hope she does this tonight, she does the best impressions of anybody. Her The impressions of her parents are one of my favorite things I ever see. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to give like a wild round of applause for my friend, Carolina Teresa. Woo, he hyped my parents
1: up way too much. They're not that great. <laughs> I'm just joking, they're amazing, because I am. Um, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about them then. Let's start with them, uh, because they made me, and like, thank God. <laughs> that was not a joke, guys, wow. <laughs> Woo, I'm gonna do my comedy and not pay attention to all these intellectual people with their glasses in this room. I'm gonna focus. Talk about you, ma'am, and you, sir, <laughs> and you, sir. So many glasses in this room. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, (laughs) So I am Afro-Latina. And what that means is that uh, I am half Guatemalan and half Trinidadian. And that's like a thing that happens sometimes. (laughs) Uh, My mom is from Guatemala and my dad is from Trinidad. And my mom and my dad are together. They've been together for, you know, married for like over 30 years. They're very much in love. My mother loves my father so much which is makes sense because he's a good person he's a good provider he's a good father and obviously like a good husband so I hear Um, but he's not hot right (laughs) just like like not hot but my mom whoo that's her man honey We'll be at a restaurant, the three of us sitting down. We hang out all the time, we're friends. Uh, we'll be at a restaurant, sitting down, relaxing, and she'll be like, Carolina, do you see that woman looking at my husband? <laughs> and I'm like, where? <laughs> Dallas? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. My dad is the ashiest man on earth. I'm like, sis. She wanna pass him a thing of lotion. He's a mess, absolutely not. My dad drinks like a white woman. He only drinks vodka sodas, right? But unlike a white woman, after one vodka soda, he is asleep. He does not get drunk, he just goes to sleep. Nobody is looking at your man, Sandra. Woo! It's insane. I'm like, girl, were you even thinking about me when you chose him? In some ways she was, but in some ways she was not. In the way that she was thinking about me, I do live in a three-bedroom apartment to myself. Um, I don't really, you know, my parents own the building and I don't work, so she was thinking of me, right? In that sense, but what she thinking of me when she chose him, I'm just saying, Sandra, you chose a man that is fat, ashy, and has flat feet, and here I stand, fat, ashy, with flat feet. Don't feel bad for me, did you not hear about the apartment? I'm somebody's landlord. You guys pay rent. (laughs) So I said she was and wasn't thinking of me. Yes, yes, yes. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I definitely learned love from my mom. I learned a lot from both of my parents. I literally am, like, if you took my mother and my father and you split them down the middle, you would get me. Like, I physically look like a mixture of them. I act like a mixture of them. But the love, the affection, I definitely learned from my mom because my, my mom, she's Latina, so I grew up with her cooking for my dad every single day, right, because that's how she lo- shows love. So when I fell in love, I cooked for my ex-boyfriend every day. <laughs> I went to a very expensive private liberal arts college, and I have a minor in women's studies. <laughs> and yet I cooked. It just, that's just how I knew how to show love. But now if I'm with the dude and he's hungry, he can eat this pussy. <laughs> and if he does a good job, maybe I'll microwave my Hot Pocket. <laughs> and that is where I stand. Um, but one of the things I definitely got from my dad is like, my strength. I am a strong woman. And I'm not saying mentally because that's like, eh, eh, you know, that's here and there. Um, But I'm physically strong. I am just a physically strong woman. My dad is like six foot something. He's huge. He played football. He did wrestling. He's a super smart dude. He's a black engineer. Okay. (laughs) They got a whole thing to, they have like a whole Facebook group for that. Um, So I definitely got like my strength from my father. And I also grew up with my father teaching me that I could always be as good as a boy. And that was great. In theory, but also got me into a lot of trouble. No, yes, for sure, because it made me feel like I was as strong as a boy. It made me feel like I was as fast as a boy, which is like a wonderful thing. That's a great way to raise a child, but not if she's a, a drama queen, right? No, not if she's a drama queen. you know how many fights I got into? Do you know how many times I've broken a bone because some little boy said I couldn't do something? It's a problem. I grew up and like, and the thing is, is like, I'm look. She's super femme presenting. It's the truth but she's a rough bitch, and that's a problem. This is a scar on my knee. I don't know if everyone can see it. I'll do do like this. But I have six screws and a metal plate in my knee because I played rugby in college. Because I saw a a movie about rugby in my freshman year of college like when I first got there, and I was like, oh, (laughs) I can do that, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I will fuck a bitch up, okay. And I joined the rugby team, and my mom was like, "Oh no, oh no, Carolina!" And I was like, "Yes!" And my dad was like, "Whatever, do whatever you want." <laughs> That's his kind of attitude. As long as he's like, does it cost money? No, okay, do whatever you want. <laughs> but I broke my knee, and like, as tough as a bitch as I am, and as tough as a bitch as I still like I was back then. I think I was tougher back then because I was like, "What the fuck was I doing?" Now, when I look back at it, it was so painful. It felt like my heart fell out of my mouth when my knee broke. Like, went, Chuck. yeah. A bitch hit me and it went, Chuck. and the thing about that is that, like, I had, I had broken a, another girl's bones before. So I knew that the t- it was coming. The t- my time had come, and it was just, I had to accept it. But as soon as I broke my knee, like as tough as I am and as tough as I was on my like, super, like I was one of of two straight girls on a a whole entire rugby team at uh, Ithaca College. (laughs) These are just the facts. As soon as I broke my knee, I screamed, call my daddy! <laughs> Call my daddy right now. And like a lot of those a lot of the girls on my teams are like PT majors or like medical majors, which is like very interesting. Cause it's like y'all have a death wish. Um, we're like, oh, just let us look. I was like, don't fucking touch me. You're not a doctor yet, bitch. Call my daddy. And I was terrible the entire time. Like, I'm sorry, it is what it is, but I was so angry, it was so painful, and my dad drove all the way up to Ithaca, because we're from Queens, he drove all the way up to Ithaca and like, handled me, because literally, the doctor was trying to be nice to me, but it was his fault that I broke my knee, the nurse was trying to be nice to me, but it was also her fault that I broke my knee. (laughs) So it was like a whole issue of problems. And so I got surgery on my knee, and the doctor said to me, he said, you're gonna get three screws and that's it. And then when I woke up like on morphine, which, goddamn, you Have you ever been on morphine? I fucking get it. That shit is glorious. Anyway, I woke up and I was on morphine and I reached in my bag for something and I pulled out my, um, what is this called, x-rays? And I have seven screws, and I see this metal plate, and I immediately start screaming. And my dad, of course, is asleep. And I'm like, "Dad, What is this? And he's like, oh, I spoke to the doctor. He's, I, he said that he had to do that for you. Excuse me, what? Went off on him, went off on the doctor for being men who made a decision about my body. <laughs> and they were both like, do you want to walk again, bitch? Or not? Nah? <laughs> I wanted to talk about my dad just because I feel like when it comes to masculinity and when it comes to black men, I feel like they're so multifaceted. And when I look at my father, I see like a good father, I see a funny guy who falls asleep. I see an ashy, ashy man. You know what I mean? I see an engineer who busted his ass and like worked really, really hard and came here from another country and like did all this shit so that, you know, his daughter could basically be his fire festival. You know? <laughs> And it makes me think about how like, other people see black men or they see men that look like my father and they think bad things about them. They think you know, that they're not that great or that they don't have the same qualities as my dad when really they, are, they all do, a lot of them do. Like I look at Eric Gardner and I think about my father. Um, and I guess that's why I wanted to talk about him today. And I wanted to just talk about how funny he is and how like smart he is and how interesting he is. And when it comes to like masculinity, how he taught me, like he's got a super femme, super masculine daughter, but he taught me a lot about being who I am and being a good person. So I'm gonna talk about him today.
0: Thank you. I keep it going for Carolina. Oh my goodness. My dad is not. Mine. Oh God! Uh, when we premiered the show two years ago, we uh, we had a live event at LPR, and I reached out to this guy, and I I, I was really hoping he would do it, and, and he was very gracious and came, did a did a great set uh, where he read and. Um, I, I honestly, there's so many influences that have led to this show, and I'm, I'm not uh, exaggerating. Uh, the next performer is, is a big influence. He's, he's one of the gems we have nationally, but also here in this city. We're lucky to have him. And uh, if you haven't already, his, his latest book, which came out about a year ago, is, uh, and then we danced, which I think is on paperback now, or came out on paperback over the summer. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're delighted to have him back. Give a big round of applause for Mr. Henry Alford.
2: Thank you, Mark. Um, Mark described the show as being like Sesame Street, so, which I guess makes me Statler and Waldorf. Um, in 2001, I had just broken up with my boyfriend of 10 years duration, and I went to Istanbul to try to um, sightsee my heartbreak away. And on day two of the trip, I was in a park right outside of Hagia Sophia, which is the most famous mosque in Turkey. And this super handsome Turkish dude started eyeing me from across the park. Um, So I stared back, because I'm a friendly guy. I'm a friendly single guy at this point um, and he uh, waved me over, so I went over, we awkwardly shook hands, um, I sat down on the park bench and we proceeded to have this very halting conversation. Uh, halting because uh, his English wasn't great, yes, halting because he was Muslim and flirting, I hoped, with me, uh, flirting with me right outside of, you know, the most famous mosque in Turkey, perhaps. Um, So we keep talking. He's reading a uh, phrase book. He says he's been studying English for about three years. His name is Zia. He's kind of scruffy and and very manly. He looks like the the hot uh, mixed-race third lead on a crime procedural. (laughs) And I ask him, uh, what do you do for work? And he doesn't understand the question. So I look up the word job in his phrase book and it translates it as cog. So I say, do you have a cog? And he says, I am making with shoes. And I say, oh, did you make the shoes you're wearing now? And he said, yes. And I said, nice cog. Um, And he asked me if I wanted to go out for dinner, and I said, sure. Uh, We go out for dinner and continue to have this kind of weirdly, uh, it's just really heavy eye contact. He clearly really likes me, but is he into me? I can't tell. Um, I ask him what music he's into. He says he likes Barbara, uh, I'm sorry, he says he likes The Rolling Stones, Barbara Stryand, but most of all, Celine Dion. So at this point, between the shoemaking and the homely songbird worship, I'm thinking, I am definitely going to get laid tonight. Uh, We uh, leave the restaurant. And I kind of lean my body into his. It's the first physical contact that we've had since the awkward handshake. And he murmurs approvingly, but looks right down at the ground. So I asked him, do you want to come back to my hotel? And he said that he couldn't, because he lives at home with his mother and father, and it's gonna take him an hour to get home. And I say, will you get home by train or by bus? And he says, by camel. And then he says, I make joke. Uh, He asks me what I'm doing the next day. And I say, I'm just sightseeing. But I'm sort of hoping to go swimming because it's really hot. And he says he knows about a very gorgeous um, swimming pool that's not in any guidebooks. So we decide to meet up at the park bench the next morning at 10 AM. We do sort of a little awkward wave, good night. The next morning I wake up and go down and have the hotel breakfast, which is fabulous as as Turkish breakfasts can be. It covers like nine tables. It's like Disneyland for dried apricots. So I leave the hotel, and I'm feeling really good. I've had this really great breakfast. I'm about to go hang with this really gorgeous dude. Uh, You know, the the word of the day is engorgement. Uh, And I'm definitely thinking I'm going to write a travel memoir and call it Eat Gay Love. So I get to the park. and. To sort of minimize this physical awkwardness that we have shared together, I decide to do kind of a big windshield wipery wave hello, and then I launch immediately into how I have folded my bathing suit up so tiny that it fits in my pocket. He kind of nods, and, uh, and then he says, and also to speak about my guidance wages and my eyes well with tears. I'm really pissed off. I've heard about this kind of thing, of course. Um, And, you know, every city has this group of dudes who feel like, you know, their ability to locate the most prominent feature on the landscape should result in the ready exchange of cash. But obviously, I thought we were sort of on a different trajectory. So I say to him, "Um, You know, when I saw you uh, in the park yesterday, I thought you were very handsome. I was not looking for a guide. And he kind of nods reflectively. And then I say, I like men. Do you? And he says, It is difficult to answer. And when he says the word answer, he pronounces the W in it, which only pisses me off more. Uh, so I say, "Well, what do you usually charge?" And he says, "Usually one hundred dollars, but for you, $60. So I very huffily reach into my pocket, pull out what I think is like forty-five bucks in Turkish lira, put them in his hand, put them in his hand, uh, and say, "That's for yesterday." Nice to meet you. Goodbye. Then I turn and I walk off. Well, actually, I don't walk off. It's more like I walk off because I'm quite certain that he is going to run after me and give me the money back and insist that we go to my hotel and make violent love to one another. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that doesn't happen. I go sightseeing. Um, at the end of the day, I have to go back through that park to get to my hotel, and lo and behold, he's sitting there on the park bench again. Uh, I tell him what I've been, what I've seen, um, and you know, I'm really excited. I've I've been to the spice market. I've been to Topkapi Palace. I found this cool courtyard, and with each new treasure that I unveil for him, he's getting more and more angry. I can see and I'm kind of loving it. Um, we keep talking, and we decide to to go out for dinner again. And you know, gradually over the course of the dinner, this air of of détente sort of settles over us. But it's still kind of rocky. You know, it's it's sort of there's like a like a dampness or a, or a dankness to our interactions. Um, is, is there such a thing as emotional humidity? Um, it, it feels at times almost like we're, like, sort of walking through hot broth or something. Um, so at the end of the evening, he walks me back to the hotel, and uh, I realize I am never going to see this dude again in my life. Uh, and I'm a little fearful that he's going to ask for money, for the, you know, the last three hours that we spent together. So, we get to this kind of awkward pause in the conversation, and I think, here it comes. He's gonna ask. Here it comes. And instead he says, thank you for the practice of language. And I said, oh, well, thank you for helping me forget about my breakup and i reach out my hand to shake his and just as i'm doing it i realize i really want to hug him so i did
0: oh my god oh, that was beautiful i did not i was like i was oh, i i don't know what to say i like i'm sort of i have to like communally take a moment. Uh, that was really great. Um, there's there's a, a number of, like I was saying about Henry, there's a number of influences. There are a number of other people that are writers, as well as there other shows. And uh, there's one that we were thrilled to see was coming back, I was going to say onto the airwaves, but really uh, come, uh, come back into our feeds. And that is uh, Thirst Aid Kit. And um, it's a delightful show. It's, a, it's an amazing podcast. We're going to find out some more information about this show because we have uh, the two hosts here who are going to be joining me on stage right now. So come on up. Bim and Nicole, please. Yeah. Hi. Thank you guys so much. Uh, uh, real quickly, tell us what you did last night.
3: Um, Hi, everyone. We hosted a screening of Point Break. Point Break (laughs) at um, the IFC Center last night. It was like a one-person clapping. Are you there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were. it was fantastic. It was a wonderful way to start the week um, mm-hmm. to see a baby Keanu mm-hmm. like <laughs> large on the screen. Yep. Um, his skin was fantastic. Yep. Uh, also, he was just beautiful. I, I I sometimes forget how beautiful he was. When he I, also I mean, he's forget. still beautiful now, but you know. Yeah, it
4: was a different sort. He was yeah. kind of like um, illogically beautiful. Like yeah. everything shouldn't be so good on Keanu's face, but then it turns out it's better. And <laughs> it's... It's it was arresting like at several points. I just looked across in the dark at Nicole like, wow, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and her we face went, matched mine. So that was good. <laughs> yeah, we went to go see it
0: over the summer. It was playing at Alamo and the same sort of thing, just these gigantic torsos. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, this, this is a religion. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. I wanted to one of the things and this is going to this might sound weird. So, so I'm gonna try and finish without it, like so that hopefully at the end, it doesn't sound weird. But I was thinking about your show, I was thinking about listening to your show, and I was like, this is the show. I love it as an adult, but this is the show I think I needed as a straight thirteen year old boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted like I investigated, and part of the catalyst for our show is investigating desire. And especially as a, as a straight boy investigating female desire and be like, what are they into? I need to know. So to, to That's start. That's not creepy, asshole. Yeah, all. not at all. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got out of that hole. Um, so what I want to find out from the two of you is just loosely, either, either physically or metaphorically, who was on your bedroom wall when you were younger?
4: When I was younger, um, and this is very much a product of the time, so judge me harshly if you must, but you were also there with me if you're of my age group, Um, I had a poster of Leonardo DiCaprio. And when I look back, I realize it's because he was pretty like a girl. And and that was necessary because real boy scared me. So what I really wanted was someone who felt like they were a girl but they were a boy and Leo hit the spot. So I had a poster of him and it was like, it was Leo in different roles and in the center was him as Jack in Titanic. And like I said, if you were of a certain age at that point, Jack in Titanic was everything I wanted. He died tragically young. Oh, like that's, that's what every straight woman wants. It's kind of like, oh, a great love and then he dies. And I was like, yes. That's perfect. Um, (laughs) I don't have to deal with like the real life stuff. I was like, oh Jack, oh it's over. And that was great for me. And you know, so I had Leo DiCaprio, but generally speaking, I had any number. I was a very, I was very boy crazy when I was younger. So I thought I, I, every boy I saw, I kind of envisaged a future with. Um, Every single one, I'm not kidding. Like it was debilitating. Like you can't go on like that. Um, (laughs) But I, I had, yeah, I was very much kind of like, huh. I wonder, and everything, every single person, there was like a rich fantasy life, and then you get older, and you're like, Jesus Christ! First of all, you knew nothing, and second of all, God no, you can't do that. These people are terrible. Um, So yeah, Leo was the one, but it was everybody.
0: You were at an all-girls school. I went went to an all-girls boarding school. How much? How much did that factor in, do you think, to to some of this, the the focus, the height of like every boy?
4: I would say a clean fifty percent. Okay. Yeah, like there were a lot of it was all me, but I do think there was oftentimes like a fug of hormones because it's like literally 2,000 girls. I mean, it's a wonder it wasn't fucking battle royale. Like it was, it, it was intense, but it was also great.
0: All right, Nicole, what about you? Who is on your bedroom wall?
3: Um, Strangely enough, I really did not put uh, people on my bedroom walls. I was interested more in like masks and things like that, um, which ooh, I don't, I just, that just hit me like, oh, what was I hiding? Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, like the little Mardi Gras, New Orleans mask things. I love those. I put those all on my wall. Um, but really, Prince was a major influence in my life. Um, I always hated being a child, so I did not enjoy the things that teenage girls or young girls were supposed to be enjoying. So I liked uh, older men, which is not what my adult life is like. Um, I do like a little young thing every now and then. Um, But- (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, you know. um, So Prince, um, I would say that when I was growing up, I liked the musicians of my time. Um, so like I'll be sure, if anybody out there is familiar with it, I'll be sure. Um, I loved Ralph Tresvant, the lead singer from New Edition, um, and then obviously Keanu Reeves, who is on my uh, phone. He is the screensaver on my phone. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry about the woman. There was a woman who saw Nicole's phone once. Oh yeah, one time I was in the grocery store, and you know I'm just looking at my phone in the line, whatever. And this little old lady behind me, she was like, "Is that your husband?" And I said, "Yes, ma'am, he is." <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever we can dream. Um Yeah, so Prince uh a lot of musicians um Gosh, who else? Uh, Keanu. Where
0: does Song of Solomon show up for you? Oh
3: wow. Okay. Yes. So the biblical uh, book Song of Solomon was basically the only book that I would read uh, in church because uh, I was really bored. You know, the, the the sermons weren't for children. Sunday school was terrible because it was just like an um, an older usher who was just there because you know she kind of been demoted from everything else. Um, <laughs> And so the lessons, I was just like, you know, I don't care about this lion and the jaw, whatever. I don't even remember what it was. The jaw of the lion or something. Daniel, somebody got beat up with the jaw of the lion, the bones. I don't know. Anyway, um, all that kind of stuff. So I would just zone out, and I would read Song of Solomon, which was beautiful. Um, The language in it was beautiful, and it was very erotic, and I recognized that very early on. you know. um, And the description, like, goes from the eyes to the mouth to the breast to the navel and then it's just kind of like a fade to black situation um <laughs> it's like we know what happens below the navel um but it was beautiful and you know people would try to say this is about the love of christ and the church no this is about two people sipping from the navel like what's what's ha- what's happening here so song of almost was very important to me yes
0: i did i i want to let you know this was, this was very dear some of those names that you mentioned i wrote uh, either wrote or sang S- Ralph Tresvant's sensitivity to a girl in middle school to try to I mean she didn't go out with me, <laughs> but it was worth the effort. Uh, uh, it's a great song. It's a love Shout out
4: to you for having taste. Yeah, good job.
0: Yeah. What who th- and this I don't know if you have an answer to this, but is there somebody so so your show, Thirst Aid Kit it's two little over two years old, is that correct? Two or three years old yes. at this point.
3: Yeah, it's so coming up. It's, up it's almost two. Yeah, it's
0: almost two. And so you have a you have a backlog of episodes. Um, I'm sure there are people from your life that listen. You know whether they've digested stuff that you've done before. You know with the writing, etc. Have you had people in your life? that have opened up to you in a way that you didn't expect, whether it's a family member or a friend where it's like, oh shit, like you're really you're talking to me about things you're into. Whether yeah. that's like whether that's just kind of innocuous or something that you just didn't expect as a ripple effect?
1: Um
3: no not Family members I had one of my friends on as a guest early on when we first started um, first episode I think yeah, and so we talked about Andre 3000 and southern men and how um, because I'm from Nashville, Tennessee and how yeah um, and how southern accents are considered um, largely in pop culture as you know, not necessarily great, but also sometimes sexy Um, so things like that and like the power of southern men um, we talked about that and but those are kind of conversations that she and I have had since we were in high school Um, but I my mother listened to a couple of episodes I think um, because my sister was listening to them um, for a long time she might still listen Um, and my mother was just like My mother knows me. She knows that I am a very uh, sexual person, that I talk about sex a lot, but she was just like, why are you so nasty in front of everybody? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's not, she's not shaming me. She's not telling me not to be this way, but she's just curious, like, why, why do you feel like you need to be so open about it, because my mother hates love scenes in movies, um, and television shows. She hates them. She's very uncomfortable with them, and she's not a conservative person at all. Like she's very open about things, but she's just like, I don't want to see all that shit. I just want to see the action. I just want to see the drama. I don't want to see people tongue and all on each other like that. So she doesn't understand why I'm so moved by it.
0: Where are you, Ben?
4: I no, not really. Um, I am both Nigerian and British. And together, repression, catch. Um, so I think in many ways, people have listened and say stuff, but I think also like Nicole, like I think I've been fairly open about stuff. Like I said, I was boy crazy when I was a kid and I, had, um, I was a, a very ardent uh, diary keeper. And I developed my own code, which I now sadly cannot crack on these old volumes. And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this triangle mean? Like I had a whole alphabet and now it's lost forever to the sands of time. Um, some code cracker's gonna crack it and be like, this is it. Um, <laughs> but at the time I thought I was writing really scandalous shit down. Um, so yeah, like, I, I I don't think anyone has said to me, oh, that thing you said or did really kind of... But I know that, yeah, I, I think for many people, I will say, and this is based on some of the emails that we get, I think for many people, there is a lack of, um, language. They, they, they have feelings and they don't know how to articulate them. And on the very best days, I think our podcast helps people to kind of articulate something that has been a little bit more amorphous for them. They've, they've had this thought bubble above them for a while and then suddenly we give it a name or we or we express a very specific thought and they kind of go, that's it. That's exactly it. And that has been um, a, an odd revelation to me. Like I, I assumed that most people were fine with most things now. And then, you know, like, the whole point of the show, we say this a lot, people will sometimes get, you know, there's a bit of a misnomer about what Thursday Kit is. It's like, oh, it's a show and they do erotica, and it's like, nope. Um, We very rarely, if ever, um, do anything that is kind of, like, obviously, overtly kind of, like, about, you know, that. It's really more about how pop culture kind of shapes who we end up fancying. You know, Nicole talking about Prince, you talking about Ralph Stravant, like, there's a whole thing there about ma- modeling ourselves and what we want. And that's what we see on screen, because that's like the the, the thing that even, that's what we all watch. We all s- consume pop culture. And what we're doing is essentially a sort of, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna put my beret on and stroke my goatee. It's a sort of a cultural criticism. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of that. I think we are sort of uh, examining the culture that we all partake in, that we all kind of imbibe, and then kind of thinking about it a little bit more. Um, and I'm very pleased and proud of us like, for doing this and doing it in a way that I think people think of as quite frivolous, but we take our job very seriously. And people oftentimes, and bless everyone, will be like, hey, have you heard about this show? For example, they'll say something like, have you heard about this show? Uh, it's called Big Mouth. And you're like, yeah, so we've, it's our job. We've, we're on this. Or they'll be like, um, hey, what do you think about the Chrises? And we're like, again, we are literally writing a book about the Hollywood Chris's. <laughs> Like, thank you so much. Like, that you think that this thing that everyone knows is like this kind of top secret. Like, hi, I'm going to side deliver and give you some intel. And you're like, it's fine. Um, like, we're always thinking about this stuff. And, you know, Nicole is a poet. Um, by day and by night. Um, shout out to Song of Solomon. Um, but I, I think, um, and I, I do this, I'm a journalist, uh, have been for a number of years. Um, and I think that's the thing that I'm always kind of thinking about. Is like, how do we apply our knowledge of the world and our understanding of various texts and um, bring that to a podcast. This has gone on for a while. I'll stop talking.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've i always been fascinated by desire and sexuality and why we do the things that we do for love, for sex. Um, and uh, again, it started very young when I was in church reading Song of Solomon. And my mother told my father, she was like, you know your daughter's been reading. You know, of course, whenever you're in trouble, it's always your daughter or whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> so... I just been fascinated by that, and um, I think that's what I try to bring to our discussions of what we talk about. So Thursday Kit is a discussion of pop culture and thirst, right? So we're looking at, um, like Bim says, why or how pop culture shapes who we desire. And I realize um, I am from Generation X. I grew up with MTV. Um, and I realized that I imprinted on Prince very early. And to this day, most of the men that I have been serious with have some sort of Prince kind of thing going on. Um, the thick eyebrows, a prominent mole, a beautiful mouth. You know, they might be very slight in figure, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what's,
4: what's the term for a slight man that you say in the podcast? Uh,
3: I like a French fry of a man. I like them <laughs> <like> skinny. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're, I like skinny men. They're fantastic. Um, um, so things like that, I realize, like, looking back at all the men that I've, like, liked or imprinted on, Spock, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) and also just, like, you know, just on, like, again, just TMI, with Spock, it's, like, that emotionally unavailable man. Ooh. Oh. that was a ripple in the eyebrow's was like like if you can get that um, you know emotionally unavailable man to arch his eyebrow at you bitch what yes that's fantastic that's basically um, <laughs> love that's so, yeah I mean it's not healthy but you know you can't what, you, what are you going to oh, do? God.
0: So many Yeah, there's just so many notes going on in my head like, <laughs> to, to, to keep track of that. Um, yeah. There's so many questions I have for you guys, and I want to jump into something, and I think there's a good segue here about modeling. There's, there's personal, there's ethnic identity that I have and things I've struggled with in terms of desire, and also seeing models of desire that are ambiguously ethnic men, Latino men, brown dudes, and uh, especially as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, like, avoid, you know, like, really desperately. But... There were options. And I did see desire for uh, my fellow uh, Latinx uh, men. So we're going to play a game right now called Name That Latinx Bad Boy. (laughs) I want the audience to be quiet first, because I'm going to ask the two of you to answer this clue, and then I'm going to throw another clue to the audience. Okay? So this is era specific. If you don't get it, no problem. So um, our first stud, uh, question number one, our first stud played the broken beautiful bereaved brother bob in what 1980s music bio hit movie scored by los lobos
3: oh um la, 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 bamba. La bamba.
0: um yeah you got it you got it la bamba. Oh, that was a movie yeah, was. yes but i wanted the name all right now um to and if anybody can guess the, the actor great but otherwise this is a question i have for the audience who played and whoever says it first who played the voice of papi and what, or sorry, he played the voice of Poppy in what animated show, revolutionary animated show, from the 90s or two, 2000s? He played the dad, his voice actor that played the dad. They just made a movie about it. First, wow, we do not have a Latino crowd here. Uh, blank the blank. Yes, thank you. Okay, awesome. So, um, Ben, I'm gonna ask you to flip. So our stud, number one, was Esai Morales, uh, who is now a silver fox. Uh, this Esai Morales candle, sir, you're going home with it. Uh, <laughs> you won it. Um, this was one of the first uh, first uh, brown dudes that I saw in Teen Beat, uh, just like, he's actually Boricua, but um, a, a played a Mexican. So we're going to, and I've got a gift for you guys. But we got just a few more questions. Um, Question number two. Our next stud is an Oscar-winning Boricua uh, something. Uh, I can't read my handwriting. (laughs) Um, And one of us, uh, he dated ScarJo uh, in a movie, Befriended Basquiat, and had one of his first roles villainizing James Bond in 1989's License to Kill. This is for you guys. So he was a former, he dated ScarJo uh, briefly. Benicio del Toro. All right, awesome. Let's see it up there. So this is him in *License to Kill*. Look at that. Look, look. Was look, I right look, to model look, 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 this? You were, you okay. were. Yeah. Good job, congrats. So for, the, for the audience to win a candle, what what Oscar did Benicio win and win an Oscar for? Win an Academy Award for? Supporting Actor for what movie? *Traffic*. All right, *Traffic*. The Benicio candle goes over there. All right, guys. We got just one more, and then I've got one final one for you. So our our last question for you guys in the audience. Our final stud. This is a deep cut. This is a deep cut. Our final stud is the Matador star of what 1990s Madonna ballad, co-written by Babyface.
4: Oh, I love the song. I don't know his name, but, but he's. What's, so, what's the song? Oh, take, take a, a bow. take a bow.
0: Take a bow. That's my right. favorite Madonna song. Let's see the let's see the clip, Ben. And we're gonna have to turn oh, this up. Look Indiana, at this
4: shit. Munoz,
0: oh, uh, yeah, that was,
4: was him. Yeah. To the Stunning.
0: Style. All right, we can stop the clip. All right, we're going go to go to one question for you guys, and I'm going to give a candle to the audience if you can name one of Madonna's ex-husbands. Oh, Guy, Ritchie. Guy, Ritchie. Guy Ritchie over here. I, unless you won two candles. No, okay, Guy Ritchie over here. We got, we got, we got one right over here. All right, cool. So this is the last thing I have for you guys. We're done with the Latinx bad boy portion of, of this. All right, so question number four. I know that, I can't remember, who loves the arm hair and watch band of the we, duo? We both, yeah, do. We both, both do. both do. All right. I just, you have a visual cue here. Who is this? Wow. I honestly feel like I know this, but. Um, Oscar winning actor. Mark Ruffalo. No. no, he didn't
4: win the Oscar. No, no, no. Hold on, no, no, no. hold on. No, no, no. Let me think. Okay, Oscar-winning no. actor with
0: let's see has aged very nicely.
4: Stanley, motherfucking Tucci.
0: No, Oh, uh,
4: one more, one more. Oh. Clue. Hold That's on. a good guess, though. Thank you, I appreciate um, that. Thanks. Um,
0: was he? He? Oh God, this is this feels like it's a give giveaway. Oh. Uh, he played a doctor. That was a big big rise to fame.
3: Oh, George Clooney. Let's see the
0: slide. And there he is! Okay, awesome. Okay. All right. I don't see so, him, though. As a thank yeah. you for playing and participating, this is not George Clooney. Good. But That's good. As an uh, appreciation of your Dead Bay episode, as well as your screening last night, this is not Keanu. This is a crazy for Swayze candle. Yes! Uh, yes! That both of you can use to commemorate yes. and uh, remember 10 years. He died 10 years ago. Uh, anyway, oh, that's yes. these are for you. I want to thank you guys. And where? What should everybody do when they leave here tonight? In terms
3: okay, follow us on Twitter. Yes, our new episode. Our episodes come out on Thursday. You know, Thursday. Hey. Um, oh. And yeah, just um, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, please subscribe. We need it, please. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much. Thank you for having thank us. Thrilled oh. to have you. One, three. Thank you. So, it's yeah. I'll give you <laughs> So awesome. keep it going for Ben and Nicole. Yeah. I mean, we got to end now. We can't go much further than that. Before we get off the stage, I want to thank my wonderful team from, from I was going to say This American Life, wow. Um, sure, why not? From Other Men Need Help, uh, the wonderful team, the production team here of Other Men Need Help. They're awesome. They make, oh, couldn't do it without them. And let's give another round of applause to our performers. Thank you to the tremendous staff at Caveat. I forgot to say this earlier, but when you close out, tip the hell out of your bartenders. Thank you so much. We will see you soon. Adios. Ciao, ciao. Bye.